0: going to continue in this series of the divine life of the Holy Spirit. This is so relevant, especially for today, as is today, what is known as Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. Now, Pentecost on the Jewish calendar is a very significant point um, in, in history, in that it was promised that the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh, and so we're going to take a look at some of these things as to what the scriptures had to say about Pentecost, but then also some very relevant application. Obviously, that's, the most, that's important. And we don't want to just look at history. We want to talk about how do we integrate truth into our daily lives. So let's talk about it a little today about the divine life of the Spirit. But by way of creating the foundation let, us, let me remind us that God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed eternally, even before the creation of the universe and the earth. And they've never known anything but perfect union and perfect love. Father, Son, and Spirit. All of the universe and creation exists, listen carefully, exists within, within in the union and love and life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scripture makes it so clear. God did not, from afar, bring creation into existence and observe all of creation from a distance. All of creation exists within the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why All is sustained. All of creation is sustained. That's why the universe is still expanding. We know this. Our astronomers tell us it's still expanding. Because all exists within the life and the word of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We could not be in existence today if it weren't for the life of God. The cross over here is a reminder to us of the mercy, grace, and the love of God that was revealed through Jesus. The cross, when you look at the cross, I want you to think about this. The cross gives us a reminder according to the scriptures that it was for all people jesus is the savior of all he included all people when he took the sin of humanity up on himself on the cross not counting men's trespasses against them second corinthians chapter 5 paul says by revelation of the holy spirit the work of christ has forever changed the possibilities for all of humanity. Everyone's been included. Everyone's been invited to activity, uh, and consciously participate in the life of the triune God. I think I have this on screen back here, guys. Um, becoming a participant and engaging in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is to experience salvation. And that's what the marvelous thing is. He's included everyone, but we all have the privilege of participating. Now, this is where, this is where the preaching of the gospel comes in. As you know, there's many several billion people yet that have not even yet heard of the good news of the gospel of Christ. That's why Paul talks about, he talks about, he refers to it, the foolishness of preaching has such significant value because it is an instrument, a means whereby people can be enlightened and come to this awareness of who Christ is and the glorious salvation that is available to all of humanity. Now, in the Bible, we have multiple, actually hundreds of references to Holy Spirit we're going to refer to a few of them. We're going to start right back in Genesis. I'm, I'm, we're not even going to begin to touch all that. I'm just going to like, we're just going to kind of go surfing through here. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the, help me out. The spirit of God was moving the spirit of god was hovering was moving no surprise father son and spirit move together in a seamless harmony and unity so in our bibles this is the first mention of holy spirit now holy spirit then is referred to again um, and several other places, but we're going to fast forward to Exodus 24. Now, a guy by the name of Moses, who was the appointed leader of the Hebrew people of the nation Israel. He was a guy that was not qualified by his, from his perspective and by human standards, but God chose him. And so, he is a leader of this people. His mission was is to lead the people to freedom lead them out of the bondage of Egypt and lead them out into the desert to where they could be free to worship and then to go to the land of promise. After they crossed the sea, and you read all about it in the book of Exodus, Exodus 14 in particular, there talks about the, the, the night of the Passover and, and such. But in chapter 24, Moses for the sixth time is invited to come up to Mount Sinai. Hey, let's get a map on here. I think I've got one there on it. Okay, so you have the Sinai Peninsula. There's Mount Sinai, right smack dab in the middle. I've not been on the Sinai Peninsula, but the red line starts up at the left. This is where the people of God were. And um, so the Hebrew people were there. They crossed over the Red Sea. You see the quail and the manna. So we read in scripture how God provided for them the quail provided the manna, and um, then then moved down to Mount Sinai. Now, they were in the Mount Sinai region for a little period of time because Moses had been called by God to come up to the mountain. And this was where this divine connection would take place in this encounter with God, and he would have these conversations with God to get kind of the lowdown on how he should lead. Exodus 24 is the sixth time that Moses is invited up the mountain, okay? And um, do we have a picture of that of that mountain there? I think we've got one there. That's Mount Sinai, 7,500 foot above sea level, okay? So Moses is invited up to the mountain, and uh, he was asked to take with him on the sixth time to take Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel. Wow, so there's... 70 elders plus two plus him. 73 of them journeyed up the mountain. Now, the rest of the crew had to stay down at a lower elevation. Only Moses went to the very top. And then then he was enveloped in a cloud. And this is where he met with God, right? Now, you're saying, so what's so significant about this? Ah, we're going to go now to chapter 31. This is so fascinating to me. Moses is up there and he's getting instructions from God about building the tabernacle of Moses. Um, this was a gathering place for worship and, and where people would come together and they would make their sacrifices and enter the holy place and, and they would be washed and cleansed, etc. And then the priest would take the blood of the sacrifice and then move into the holy of holies. It was only for the high priest pass through the veil and then move and then sprinkle the blood up on the mercy seat and the sins of the people would, would be forgiven. So while Moses is on the mountain getting instructions for the building of this temple verse 31 you got to see it then the Lord said to Moses I have chosen Bezalel the son of Uri the son of Ur and of the tribe of Judah I have filled him with the Spirit of God. You say, what? I thought only Christians after Pentecost could have the Holy Spirit. I don't know. What does the Scripture just say? I filled him with the Spirit of God. God is telling Moses that I am selecting some of your people upon whom my spirit rests and I am going to move in and through their lives. Why? Well, of course, it's always with a purpose. He said, I filled him with skill, ability, knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze to cut, set stones, work in wood to engage in all kinds of craftsmen. And then at the bottom of chapter, uh, verse six, I've given skill to All the craftsmen who gave the skill, God. How does he do it? By his spirit. This was thousands of years before Christ at the cross. Thousands of years. Holy Spirit is moving. Holy Spirit is working with humanity. Thousands of years before the cross of Christ. He's a good father. He knows how to make things happen. And by his spirit and the presence of his spirit, he motivates, inspires, gives abilities and wisdom to, pe- wisdom to people for particular purposes. That's been going on for thousands of years. That didn't just start after Pentecost. This has been going on thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Isn't that amazing? No surprise, really. And then in Numbers 11, I don't think I have that one for you on the screen. But upon the people of God, he looked about. God said, I'm going to put my spirit on the 70 elders. And when the spirit came upon them, they, they prophesied. I thought the gift of prophecy was for New Testament saints. It is. But God, by his spirit, has been working through people to bring prophetic utterance for thousands and thousands of years. As it pleases him, when it pleases him. Sometimes present-day Christians think that we got a corner on the market, man. Nobody else has the Holy Spirit. Nobody else has any access or interaction with Holy Spirit. But we have it. Not exactly so, according to the Scriptures. Oh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So hang on. Don't jump to conclusions. Samuel the prophet told Saul, King Saul, he said, the spirit of God is going to come upon you in power. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. Holy, I thought that was just for them New Testament folks after the day of Pentecost. God was flowing. He was working with people with whom he willed with whom he would choose for specific purposes. His spirit has always been working. Remember, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been working together eternally. Remember, Holy Spirit hasn't been on the sideline until Pentecost. Holy Spirit's been fully active. Ah, since before the foundations of the world. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. You'll prophesy you'll be changed into a different perp- person isn't that amazing now we're very familiar with the new testament scriptures about the activity of the holy spirit that brings about fruitfulness in our lives right changes us from the inside out we grow it's beautiful it's important it's essential etc but even back then pre-christ the holy spirit's influence would bring about a shift internally as to the very nature and the behavior of a person. Don't you love the Holy Spirit? King David, let's go to Psalms 139. King David experienced the life of the presence of God and Holy Spirit in particular. Look what he said. Where can I go from your spirit? David had this interactive relationship with God by his spirit. And David's like, I can't go anywhere except that the spirit is right with me. He said, I can go to the highest heaven, you're there. I go down to the darkest, lowest place, and you're there. Holy Spirit. He's everywhere. Father sent Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? is that beautiful? No, it's not just for, well, because now we're modern day Christians since Christ. Now Holy Spirit shows up and we can have interaction with Holy Spirit. Ah, he's been interacting with humankind for thousands of years. Oh, it's going to get a little better though here. Hang on. So David says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Let's fast forward to Joel the prophet. Now, those of you in particular who have Pentecostal backgrounds, this is one of your favorite verses in the Bible. Joel, what chapter? What verse? Sure, you're reading it. (laughs) Yeah, you're all cheating. The prophet Joel says, I will pour out my spirit. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit up on a select few that I want to work through. I will pour it out upon those people who come to their senses and repent and when they get saved, then I'll pour out my spirit upon them. It's nowhere in the scriptures. That perspective is nowhere to be found in the scriptures. No, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people, your sons and daughters. As a result, they prophesy. The old men will dream dreams. How many been dreaming dreams? Uh, young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit... In those days. In other words, there's going to be a comprehensive happening. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 now. Oh, this is a fun chapter of the Bible. I love it so much. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came. Jesus. Jesus ascended into the heavens 40 days after their resurrection. He was alive 40 days after he was resurrected. The scriptures are real clear about that. And it says he appeared unto many. He told the disciples and some of the other folks, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem until I send the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to be poured out upon all flesh. I want you to go. So many were gathered in what is referred to as the upper room. A few years ago, we, we were there in Jerusalem and in, in what is thought to have been the upper room. Actually, the building itself dates back over 2,000 years. It could well have been the place. But anyhow, it was kind of special to think we may have actually been in the literal place. Stone, just a big stone, huge room, massive stone walls, et cetera. And when the day of Pentecost, they were in one place, suddenly. Now, this is the nature of the Spirit sometimes. You remember when Jesus said the Holy Spirit sometimes is like the wind? You don't know from what direction it's going to come. You don't always know which way it's going to blow. You not don't know necessarily the velocity, the strength of the wind. It's just kind of unknown. Now, come on. With all the modern technology, our weathermen kind of cheat a little bit, and they give us a little clue. Yeah, we expect tomorrow afternoon high winds gusts of 60 mile an hour coming in at the coast, inland a 40 to 50 mile an hour, dah, 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 we go. so now we're waiting and looking for it, okay? But before we had all of this latest technology, and when I was a kid, we honestly didn't know. I'm not all that old, but we didn't know then. We, we honestly didn't know. We had a barometer. <clears throat> My dad would watch. We, I grew up a farm boy. He lived by the barometer and what he could see. You check out the skies in the morning, and the skies in the evening, the cloud formations, the type of clouds, and he'd check the barometer. And he would know. He'd say, I remember him every morning. He'd get up, he'd come out before breakfast. First thing he would go to, over to the barometer on the wall. He'd always tap it with his finger. Because you just tap it a bit, and sometimes it would move and kind of get itself properly positioned. He'd like, oh, a low pressure system. Looks like a storm's coming. I remember in 1962 when we had um, a, a hurricane here, actually, um, <clears throat> here in the, the valley. It caused a lot of damage. And, Loss of lives, etc. I remember that morning specifically, him going to the barometer, and he said, and he said, Wow, I've never seen the barometer with it, I've never seen this low of pressure before. There must be a really a huge storm coming. Back then nobody knew. The weathermen didn't know. They just said, Well, it's gonna be a big storm. They didn't know we would have ninety to 120 mile an hour winds. Nobody knew that. They didn't predict it. They just knew he was going to have a storm, okay? Well, and then the storm hit suddenly. Suddenly, all of a sudden, it was like, boom. The whole building's kind of shook. In the realm of the spirit, sometimes Holy Spirit moves subtly, subtly. Other times, it's kind of like a suddenly, bam, bam. Kind of like shakes you. How many of you are familiar with the subtle workings of the Spirit? Of course. You just have that kind of sense. The Holy Spirit is kind of prompting you, getting your attention, et cetera, right? And that's what he is uh, seemingly most of the time. Some of you have had experiences, though, where the Holy Spirit came in unusual, unpredictable, unexpected manner. Anybody? Wow, I've had some of those. Startling. But always winds up delightful, but startling. Had a guy tell me years ago the Holy Spirit would never do anything to make you feel uncomfortable. I said, Really? I said, well, that's not been exactly my experience. I've squirmed many times as the Holy Spirit started talking to me. I've had some pretty powerful encounters where I'm like, bam, I'm on the floor and the power of the Holy Spirit, kind of like Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Man, he gets hit by this light, bam, he's down. I didn't get blinded for three days, but I know the suddenlies. Well, But this is the nature of the Spirit. Don't you love Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad he's not predictable? He is predictable in this sense, that he will always lead us and guide us into truth. That you can count on. But the way, the manners in which he works is different from one day to the next hour, um, from one hour to the next, day to the next, and differ from one person to the next, too. Your experiences with the Holy Spirit may be understood in part by other people, but not necessarily has every person had the kind of encounters and the suddenness that you've experienced, right? How many of you ever shared a powerful encounter you've had with the Spirit, and somebody just sit and stare at you like, really? And you go, Really? I love hearing your stories of Holy Spirit encounters. Well, these guys had a suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fires that separated and came to rest on each of them. They saw with their natural eyes what appeared to be fire. I personally know individuals who've experienced this. I've not seen it. I personally know individuals who have told me the story, literally, where with their eyes they're watching and it looks like a building on fire or individuals like have fire coming out of their heads. Not in a vision, actual with natural eyes. Apparently this is what happened this day. Yeah, kind of spectac- spectacular, honestly kind of cool, but not necessarily the norm. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we're not going to take time to go through this whole passage, but they, we have 16 different uh, languages represented in this passage. And so they heard 16 different languages going on, and what they heard in all of it, the Scripture says, they were speaking the wonderful works of God how a couple of the versions put it speaking the wonderful works of god but each were speaking in languages that they had not known or learned and this is one of some of the effects of the holy spirit at times now some made fun and said they've had too much wine apparently they were acting a little goofy a little silly a little crazy i don't know maybe falling down seen that many times when the Holy Spirit comes in. Like there's such powerful presence, you can't even stand in his presence. Uh, So Peter stood up, raised his voice. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. Listen carefully. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. Party hasn't even begun, but it had. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, old men dream dreams. Even on my spirit, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then he ends in verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, saved, saved. Trust me, as the Holy Spirit is activated and moving, we have this increased awareness of our need for God and need of salvation. And it's a beautiful thing because Holy Spirit is to do what? Testify, to manifest, to reveal, to point us to Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. All right? Now, what's really interesting is um, we see clear back in the beginning of scriptures we've already talked about. You have Holy Spirit interacting with people. All through the Old Testament, we have multiple examples. Now we have the Holy Spirit, instead of act, interacting with just a few people that God had chosen to use to anoint for prophetic words, etc., now my Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. He kicked it up a notch or two. Without discretion, the Spirit of God is now poured out upon all people. All people now have a dimension of connectionness with God by the Holy Spirit that never happened before in history. No surprise because of Christ in the incarnation. Because when Christ came to earth, There was this divine, supernatural, sovereign infusion of Christ with all of humanity. And that's the only way possible that when he hung on the cross, that all of the sins of all people were absorbed into himself. And the scripture says he took away our sins once and for all. Never going to count anyone's sins against them, the scripture says. Okay? So it's no surprise that because of the inclusive work of Christ in the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, that now the Holy Spirit would come upon all people. Does that mean all people are automatically saved? No. But all are included. All have the life of the Holy Spirit interacting with them because all have this relational union with Christ, even though there may not be fellowship, there may not be acknowledgement, there may not be understanding, there may not be participation in the divine life of Christ, but everybody's been included. Look around the world. Some of the most beautiful art. Art forms and design, construction, and pieces of work have been made by individuals who don't even identify with Christ Jesus. Many don't even believe in a Jesus who saved the world. How is it they have such creativity? How is it that people who don't even identify with Christ have such creativity and such high level of skills? Read the scriptures. Go back to Exodus. We even see the first clue before Christ. Now that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon people, all people, can you imagine the flow of life and creativity that happens? look at some of the masterpieces of art, for example, in notable museums. uh, How about go to the Vatican? How about the Museum of, of Paris? I don't know how to pronounce it. It starts with L. Amsterdam. I've been to one in Amsterdam. There's two big ones in Amsterdam. I've been to one of them. New York, Chicago. The most notable museums, art museums of the world. Most of those Pieces of work were done by people who did not identify with Jesus Christ whatsoever. But since the Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, they have a degree of influence. <clears throat> How about the inventions? The invention of electricity. Ah, he was just smart dude. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit was actually influencing the guy? How about the printing press? How about the cathedrals and skyscrapers of the world? The largest one in Dubai now, 2,700 foot tall. Yeah, well, it's just the genius of humans. They didn't really need God. Look at the development Of the automobiles. I need one of those little yellow things right there. Thank you, brother. Think about all of the amazing inventions. Look at about medical and healthcare technology. Computers, smartphones. Did you know most of the inventors did not consider themselves Christian? But are still being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I don't think Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, identified with Christ. No indication of that. I don't think Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, identified with Christ as Savior and Lord. Brilliant men that God has used to change our world. They may think they're self-existent, The scriptures tell us otherwise. Where did the creativity come from, the inspiration, the ability? I suggest that the Holy Spirit is working with them. To think that the Holy Spirit did not have a role to play is to buy into the lie of the religion of humanism. And of all people, a Christian had better not go there. The religion of humanism says man is self-existent. Does not have or need the influence of any God or supreme power. I can't imagine that any Christian would go down and buy into that lie of the devil. Now, humans are just naturally brilliant and they can do whatever and they can do all these inventions. They didn't need God It's the Holy Spirit's influence that gives creativity, that gives great skill and ability, even though a person doesn't recognize Christ. How's this happening? Because the Spirit was poured out upon all flesh. You know, Jesus said in John 14, let's go there real quickly before we wrap this up. John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever forever the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. And that's the thing, is that Holy Spirit is moving, but many people do not see him, recognize him, or have any sense of understanding or familiarity with the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where Christians, followers of Christ, get to come in. And to bring this awareness that, wow, God is very present. Did you know that? What do you mean God's present? I didn't see him. Ah. And begin to share the good news about the activity of God and the heart of love of God and the Holy Spirit's activity. Jesus said, you know him. Oh, excuse me. The world can't accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you, the disciples, know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you, will be in you. Keep in mind, this was spoken before the cross. Did you know the disciples were going around, casting out devils, healing the sick? Before they were, quote, saved. Because Christ hadn't even gone to the cross. How'd they do that? By the Holy Spirit, of course, in the name of Christ, under Christ's authority. But they still couldn't have done it, except that the Holy Spirit was, Jesus said it. He's with you. He's moving with you and through you. Isn't that beautiful? See, sometimes Christianity is made just really ridiculously black and white. You are totally void of God and the Holy Spirit until you pray a prayer to receive Christ. Now, you finally have the Holy Spirit. That's not the way the scriptures reveal it. If we have any confidence in the scriptures at all, we'll see Holy Spirit has been moving actively, working with people forever. Old Testament, before Christ. with Christ is there before he goes to the cross, Holy Spirit is working with and through the disciples. I think it's marvelous. It's beautiful. All this does is just show how marvelous our God is. This doesn't diminish God. This actually shows us the magnitude of his love, his life, his wisdom. And so Christ is saying, oh, but there's going to be a difference. What is he talking about? He will be in He's talking about as a, a Pentecost when the spirit is poured out upon all flesh. Now, sometimes we, here's what happens to us. Sometimes here's what we struggle with. Sometimes we struggle with the in and out metaphors in scripture, okay? He's with you, he'll be in you. And we can struggle with that sometimes. And so you have all kinds of different metaphors that are used in scripture. That's why you have to first, you have to see the bigger picture. If you start from the standpoint of just trying to pick Oh, this Bible says in or out. So that means that every person had absolutely no access to the Holy Spirit until here at this point because now he'll be in. Well, that's foolish. you got to look at the whole Scripture. Look at the bigger picture, see? Now, Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? See, he's using this again, within you whom you receive from God. Let's remember this. Let me, let me contextualize this. The Holy Spirit is not a commodity. It's not like water that I poured into this little container before I came up here. The Holy Spirit is not a commodity. He's a person. You don't pour people into a container. He's a person. He's not a commodity. If you treat Holy Spirit like commodity... You don't really understand who the Holy Spirit is. He's not a commodity. He's not just a force. He's not just something that you can distribute or disperse. It's a person. You can't hand him out. So humans have always had this interaction. And since the cross, the resurrection, and Pentecost, everybody is invited into this personal, this relational fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We're invited when we turn our hearts towards God, but he's already working all around us, even with us and in us, or we would never ever turn our hearts towards him. So the yes that we have towards God that we call salvation to experience salvation is all by the work of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we follow the path of humanism. That's not a pathway that any one of us want to go. It's totally contrary to the scriptures. Well, what about this in thing? When my life became connected with my wife, I have Danette in my heart. Did she physically jump inside my body? We use that in context of our love relationships. Appropriately so. She's not a commodity. But the affection of her heart has made entrance into mine and captivated my heart. She is in me. I'm in her heart. See? That's how... Paul uses this the language of in, say, you have the Holy Spirit in. It's relationally. It means our hearts are captivated and captured by the Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's a very much in, just as long as we don't treat Holy Spirit like a commodity. And just as long as we then don't say that everybody else is excluded that the Holy Spirit just has this big perimeter, this way outside of everybody's lives until they pray to receive Christ. Nonsense, because they'd never pray to receive Christ. You only invited Christ because he already first invited you, right? We love him because he first loved us. God in and through Christ has already included everybody in salvation. It's just that because of darkness of our sin, we don't see Christ, realize Christ, and don't embrace him until such a time by the grace of God that he opens the eyes of our lives. And we go, oh my goodness. And in the light of his glory, our hearts are gripped with the realization of our sin and our need for relationship and fellowship. But he's already included us all along. I just marvel at the work of the Holy Spirit. And so our role is to keep ourselves. Jude says this way, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do I do that? I got to work at it? No, it's a continual responsiveness. Yes, Father, yes. That's what it is. It's a yes in our hearts. You know what our heavenly Father's looking for? Christ our Lord by the Spirit, is just looking for that daily? Yes. Yes. I yield to you. I surrender my life again to you. That's why Paul talked about I die daily because submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is sometimes even painful. That's why Apostle Paul says, put off. He said, you ought to get rid of all this old stuff, this old way of thinking and acting. He said, you should know better than that. Your life is hidden with Christ. Christ is in you. We're going to pray a prayer together in a minute. Get this. Did you know one of the greatest, um, what should I say, one of the greatest manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is love. It's not a sign and a wonder. In other words, something tangible that happens over here, as cool, as important as those are to confirm the word of the Lord, the scripture says. Jesus' greatest prayer, last prayer before the Father, I pray that the world would know me by the love through my disciples, my followers. Love, inclusion, unconditionally, I love you. Doesn't matter what you believe, don't believe. Doesn't matter how ugly your behavior is. Unconditional love is the greatest manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not even the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's most powerful. It's love. Love. That's why the Bible says, of all these things, Paul says in First Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love. Love is inclusive. Love doesn't tell people you're outside, you're separate from God. That's not love. Love says, you've been included in the work of Christ and the love of God. Let me tell you about how good God is. He invited you already into his presence, into his life. You don't even have to invite him into your life. That's humanistic thinking. No, you're invited into his life, and all he's looking for you to do is say, yes, turn towards him and embrace Christ as Lord because he's invited you into his life. Isn't that the good news of the gospel? Hey, I've got a prayer here I can wrote out. Would you, maybe I'm gonna invite you to pray this with me. Let's stand up. As you all know, when we get on the subject of Holy Spirit, Oh, my goodness, I mean, there's 99 sermons at least. I already gave you two this morning, so let's stop at this. All right. I want to invite you to pray this if you like. Father God, sending Jesus Christ to reveal your heart of love and mercy for humanity through the finished work of Christ on the cross, resurrection, and ascension. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to all people to reveal Christ Jesus and to lead us into a living relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. I invite the Holy Spirit to search my heart, purify me from sin, open my eyes to the glorious Christ, fill me with affection for my Lord. I believe the Holy Spirit is working in me and through me each day of my life, guiding me through the process of becoming like Christ as I pursue my calling and assignments of life. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Amen. So be it.